This is the Calvary Bible Church Podcast. Thanks for listening in today. We're praying this message encourages you. Learn more about Calvary and join us online each Sunday for services at calvarybible.com. Hey everyone, we're so happy that we can worship our risen King together and now turn to his word. You know, one of the most common things you hear us say at Calvary is open your Bibles with me to, in fact, sometimes we say that Bible is our middle name. We are Calvary Bible Church. So why do we open it every week when we're together? Why is it something we encourage each other to do in our day-to-day life, to open this book that's thousands of years old, that was written over a span of thousands of years, written by maybe 40 different authors, 66 different books? Does it have relevance still today? Why would it be a book that we would encourage each other to open? Maybe for you, like me, the reason why I first opened the Bible was because my mom opened hers. I have so many memories as a kid of seeing her prepare for a weekly study she was a part of. She was a part of community Bible study. And back then they would provide all the participants in CBS with these big, thick, blue uh, three ring binders. And I remember her sitting on our couch with her Bible on one side and her CBS study guide on the other, studying God's word. I have similar memories from my grandma who also was involved in CBS. She lived close by. And so when I would go to her home, I would see a similar thing, an open Bible next to a study guide. My grandfather, her husband uh, drove around with a little miniature version of some select verses from the New Testament. And from time to time, when I was riding in the car with him, he would stop at a stoplight and read from this Bible. Listen, we all know that texting and driving isn't safe. Please don't hear me say, I want you to read your Bibles while you drive. But it left an impression on me as a young man. I even remember that my dad would leave his Bible open throughout the house. Whatever he had been reading that morning in his devotions, I would find somewhere where he had sat to read God's word. So the first reason why I opened the Bible as a kid was because my family did. Maybe it's a similar experience for you. Or maybe you first opened a Bible because your friends encouraged you to. They said you should read it. Maybe you should come check out a Bible study they were a part of, or maybe they invited you to church. Or maybe you started coming to Calvary and Bible's our middle name and we open the Bible together. And so you've started opening the Bible for the very first time. Whatever your first reason for opening the Bible, if it was family, if it was friends, if it's because it's a part of the tradition of the faith community you're a part of, I think we need to go deeper in our reasoning for why we open the Bible. We're working through a series right now called Walk in the Way. And the purpose of this series is for us to be more and more like Jesus, to do what he did, to become like him. And one of the patterns that we see in his life is that Jesus opened his Bible. So if you have a Bible this morning, open your Bible with me to Matthew chapter 4. If you don't own a Bible, you know, this is probably the greatest time in history to be able to have access to the Word of God. You can just pull your smartphone out of your pocket and go to Bible.com, or you can go to your app store and search for the Bible app, and you can search for Matthew chapter 4. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. It's one of the four Gospels that tells the story of the life and ministry and eventual death and resurrection of our Savior, Jesus. And we find in Matthew chapter four, one of the first reasons, I wanna give you three today, three reasons why we open our Bibles. And the first that we find is that we open our Bibles because Jesus opened his. Look at Matthew chapter four, verse one with me. 
Then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. This is right before his public ministry begins. And by the call of God, he is led by the Holy Spirit out into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan himself. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. This must be one of the most understated verses in the entire Bible. 40 days and 40 nights without food, and all it says is he was hungry. You know, in our house, when some of us haven't eaten for a while and maybe we're getting a little bit irritable, we have a word that we use to describe that. It is hangry. Like, you probably need to go eat something. You're a little hangry right now. I notice that if I haven't had something to eat for like four hours and the kids come to me or I find a sock on the floor or something, I'm a little less patient than I normally am. And it's simply because I haven't had food for just a few hours. And here is Jesus having gone 40 days without any food. And the Bible simply says he was hungry. I imagine too, his body felt weak. I can only imagine how difficult it would be to stand face to face with Satan after 40 days without food. But of course, this experience for Jesus is much different than when I go from breakfast to lunch. This is, this is an intentional fast from food for the purpose of awakening his heart to spiritual needs, to awaken his heart to hear the voice of God. And so in many ways, this 40 days without food has prepared him better than anything could to face the devil. In verse three, it says that the tempter Satan came to him and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, my friends, Jesus opened his Bible all the time. He knew it. Now, to be fair, his Bible was different than ours. His Bible is what we refer to now as the Old Testament, but he hid it in his heart. He knew it so well inside and out that in a moment of desperation and weakness, he could call on it and thwart the devil with it. It's amazing to think that Jesus would say, man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus is affirming here that all of us have needs that are so much deeper than our physical ones, so much deeper than our material ones, even our emotional or relational ones, that each and every one of us has a deep spiritual need to hear the voice of God. And in this moment for Jesus, more than anything, he needs to speak and verbalize the truth of the word of God. It's amazing too that he would say that man can live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is not just simply information that we come to understand. It's not simply knowledge that we acquire, but the words of God are words to live by. Many of you are familiar with Hebrews chapter four and verse 12, where the author of Hebrews says, for the word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God is living and active, the New Testament says. And Jesus is affirming, as he says, that, that man lives on God's word, that, that we have a dependence on it, that the word of God takes priority over our other needs in our life. And the author of Hebrews affirms that, affirms that it's a living and active thing. It's an amazing thing to think 
that the word of God, that a book could discern the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. What other book can do that? If we go to Norland Library on the CU campus and examine their massive volume, their huge, enormous library of books, I don't think we go there assuming that those books would know and understand the intentions and thoughts of our hearts. No, the only way that can happen is by the Holy Spirit-enabled power of illumination that comes to those of us who believe in Jesus and have put our trust in him. For those of us who call on his name, it is as though a light goes off as we read the word of God and it jumps off the page and it makes its way into our soul and it nourishes us and it feeds us in a way that no other book can. After Jesus is tempted by Satan in Matthew chapter four, he preaches maybe his most famous sermon, the one that we have known as the Sermon on the Mount. He begins in chapter five of Matthew and in verse six says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be satisfied. The word of God can satisfy our spiritual needs. And when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, to be like God, to become more and more like Jesus, when we chase after that, the word of God through the power of the Holy Spirit can feed us, can satisfy our souls. I want you to notice the posture that Jesus recommends that people approach the word of God with. We ought to hunger and thirst for righteousness. This is an active call of God to connect with the word of God in an active way, to, to seek to be under its authority, to look to it for guidance and direction. And so if the first reason why we open our Bibles is because Jesus opened his, the second reason why we open our Bibles is for transformation, not just information. That's the posture that we approach the word of God with. We want God's word to shape us, to mold us, to conform us more and more to the image of his son, Jesus. We're not just reading the Bible for a list of rules, for a catalog of history, for a number of genealogies, for some beautiful poetry. No, we are reading it because we want to be like the son of God, Jesus. And we want people as we live our lives to experience and see Jesus through us. The apostle Paul describes transformation in this way in Romans chapter 12, verse two. He says, you know, in the world, there's lots of different opinions. There's lots of different voices. There's lots of different books and philosophies. But my friends who follow Jesus conform no longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. How does that happen? That happens when the people of God hunger and thirst for righteousness and come to the word of God expectantly, hoping to learn and to be shaped and to be molded. Now, transformation into the likeness of Jesus takes time. It's not an instantaneous process. Now, rebirth is an instantaneous process. When we put our faith in Jesus, when we are saved by faith, through the Son of God, we are instantaneously and irrevocably transformed into a new creation. But then we begin the beautiful process of transformation throughout our life. The Bible calls this sanctification. It is the process by which we each and every day become more and more like the Son of God. We look to Jesus. We look at how he lived. 
We learn from him. We conform ourselves to him. We try to become like him, and this takes time. Pastor and author Eugene Peterson calls this a long obedience in the same direction. It's a lifelong pursuit. And it's not unlike if you're new to following Jesus, taking up a new sport. When I was a kid, I was a competitive swimmer for more than a decade. I can't even calculate how many hours I spent in the pool, looking down at the bottom at a lane line, doing laps back and forth for hours a day. And after more than a decade of competitive swimming, I became the best swimmer I had ever been, better than I was when I started, because I gave myself to it. I practiced hard. I had other swimmers who were with me in the lanes next to me practicing with me. I had coaches and mentors who had been swimmers themselves and who could watch me and give me feedback and tell me how I could get better and faster and stronger. And it took time, a very long time to see improvement. So I could call myself a swimmer. I could call myself a skier. I would even call myself a cyclist because I've given myself to the pursuit of training towards all of those sports. But I am not and never have been a runner. A few months ago, Lindsay and I were at home, like we all were, and we were doing a workout. And this workout included a little bit of running. So I kind of went on a scavenger hunt through my closet, tried to find the shoes I had that most closely resembled running shoes. I put them on and I did some laps around the trails that are near our house. And during one of the laps, I came upon a young family, a dad and his two young daughters who were on the same trail and I was running towards them and they were walking towards me. And as I came closer and closer, the dad said to them, okay, girls, let's step off the trail so this man can run by us. And as I ran by them, I heard his younger daughter, who was maybe four years old, look at her dad and say, but daddy, he doesn't look like he's running. She ain't lying. I am not a runner because I haven't given myself to it. I don't spend time with other runners who can help me grow and learn how to become a runner. I don't subscribe to running magazine. I don't watch YouTube videos about how to improve my form. Now, perhaps if I gave myself to it, over time, I could get to the point where a four-year-old might look at me and think, well, he sort of looks like he's running. But without having practiced it, without having worked hard at it, I couldn't expect that someone would look at me and think, well, he's a runner. Now, this is similar for us as we follow Christ. If we want to be like Jesus, isn't it unreasonable that we would think we could do so and follow him without reading his word, without knowing what he is like? Ray Lubeck, who is a pastor of Bible and theology at Multnomah College and also has written a book called Read the Bible for a Change, says this, many people who claim to be Christians neither know the Bible nor sense any particular need to learn it. We are no longer convinced that it is essential for living a Christian life. The Apostle Paul couldn't disagree more strongly that the Bible is inessential. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, when he writes to his young follower, Timothy, about following Jesus and learning how to follow Jesus through the faithful study of God's word, he says in verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may become complete, equipped for every good work. 
See, when we come to the Bible with a posture of seeking to be transformed by it, it can teach us and train us. It can reprove us and correct us. It can teach us because it can give us a a pathway for living. It can say this is the way that we ought to live our life as followers of Jesus. And it trains us because it gives us a model, a demonstration of how to do that, of how to put it into practice. It can reprove us. Another word we might use for that is rebuke. It can tell us you should stop living this way, but it also corrects us. As it says, stop living this way, it also says, start living in this way. This is the living and active word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword, teaching, reproofing, correcting, and training for us in righteousness. I've been thinking a lot about training recently. At the beginning of this quarantine season, probably mid-March, after our family had been cooped up at home for maybe a week, we sat down as a family and said, okay, this is crazy. We have two parents who are working full-time at home. We have three kids who are now suddenly trying to homeschool. We're all cooped up together in the house. We can't leave. This is crazy. So we lost our minds, and like many families, we bought a puppy. So over the last several months, we've been having fun with Sydney, our Portuguese water dog, and we've been training her. We've been teaching her. We've been doing a lot of reproofing and correcting of her behavior. And as we've been working together as a family on training our new puppy, we've been reading books about it, trying to get better, trying to learn how we manage this crazy dog that now lives in our house with us. Some of uh, my favorite books about training dogs have been written by the monks of New Skeet. These monks live in upstate New York in a monastery where amongst other things, they breed dogs and teach obedience classes. And in one of my favorite books that they have written uh, about training a dog, which is called How to Be Your Dog's Best Friend, they tell this story about a man and his family who brought their dog to their school for some training. They say, this man wanted to know if we could train his cocker spaniel to the down command in response to a cough. The gentleman explained that he wanted complete control over his dog and didn't want to have to bother giving the dog a spoken verbal command, but thought a cough, kind of like, should do the trick. He then demonstrated by clearing his throat suggestively. He never praised the dog verbally. The children and the family sat rigid throughout the interview contributing little. The wife contradicted the husband at one point, and he shot a silencing glance at her, clearing his throat in the same suggestive manner. We explained that dogs need verbal commands and hand signals in order to clearly understand what is asked of them. The cough idea was not possible, especially in a dog-owner relationship that was already faulty and plagued with lots of other problems. Luckily for dogs, It's rare to find this kind of autocratic owner. This man seemed to think that communicating to an animal who was lower than him was beneath his dignity. Even communicating to his wife and children in a kind and compassionate way seemed to be below the dignity of this man. I am so grateful that our God is not like this. Think of all of the ways that our God has gone to so many great lengths to communicate with us. 
what he has done, what he has created so that we could hear his voice. This is the final way that I, or the final reason why I think we open our Bibles. We open our, our Bibles to hear the voice of God. Think for a moment about how powerful God's voice is. When there was nothing, God spoke and he created the universe. After God spoke and created the universe, there was nothing but darkness. And by a word, he spoke and light shone into the darkness. God spoke and the sea came to rest on the land. God spoke and the oceans were brimming with sea creatures. God spoke and the skies were filled with birds. God spoke and said, let us create mankind in our image. Male and female, he created them in his own likeness by a word. At the word of God, nations rise and fall. At the word of God, the ocean, the seas were split and, and the people of God walked through the Red Sea. God spoke and manna came down from heaven and fed the nation of Israel for 40 years while they wandered in the wilderness. God spoke a promise that he would send a redeemer, a suffering servant who would pay the penalty of sin for all mankind. And hundreds of years later, it came true. God spoke and by his word, he raised his son from the dead so that we might live forever with him. God speaks and he turns stone-hearted enemies of God into God-loving, fleshly-hearted people who can hear his voice and listen to him. God speaks and his words are so powerful. Now, maybe it's been a while since you have listened for the voice of God in his word. I want to encourage you this week, if it has, to try and hear his voice. Maybe you'll commit over the next week to just read a section of scripture. Perhaps it could be Psalm 119. You could read 25 or 30 verses every day this week. It'll take you about a week uh, of reading 25 or 30 verses each day to get through Psalm 119. And as you do so, approach reading the word of God with an expectant heart. Open your Bible because Jesus opened his. Open your Bible because you're seeking to be transformed by the power of God. Open your Bible because you long to hear God's voice speaking to you. He is speaking. He has spoken through his word. And if he has, he calls us to listen. Let us be the people who follow in the way of Jesus, of the one who opened his Bible who loved his Bible, who as he left the earth said to his followers as he commissioned them to go throughout the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He also said, teach them to obey all of the commands I have given you. Teach them to hear what I have said, to follow my way of living, to practice what I have practiced to follow my habits. Would you join me in being a people who seek to hear the voice of God through his word? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you 
that you have spoken. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in your creation. We thank you that you have chosen to leave heaven and come to earth as your son and to speak to us and declare to us all that we need to know to find salvation in your name. We thank you, God, that your words are contained in a book that we have access to at any time. God, we pray now as we come to your word that it would shape us and mold us, that it would help us become more and more like your son, Jesus Christ. We pray, God, that it would transform us. We pray, God, that we would be changed by the unchanging words of God found in your scripture. Lord, and we pray as we are shaped and changed that we would be the kind of people who go to the places that you have called us to demonstrate the love and the justice and the mercy of your son, Jesus. To be the people who spread the love of God and the gospel in our families, to our friends, in our neighborhoods, with our coworkers. God, may we be your people who are called by your name and rooted in your word. For your glory, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.